I was racing through town, the west side of Wichita, proceeding to the home of a friend who had invited us over for Super Bowl Sunday. It was a week ago today. Now, because of my official job requirements, I wasn't able to make the first part of the game. So I came in, we said our hellos and got straight to watching the game, and it didn't look good. Uh, If you were a part of watching the Super Bowl, I think most of you were, you understand how much of a... uh, how much your blood pressure was affected that night. Uh, in fact, it got so bad that I pulled out my phone partway through the game to text my, my friend and, and diehard Chiefs fan, Justin Harold. And, and I, I texted him, what, what do we do here? You know, what, what can I do to help? Uh, a lot of you know I had worn some special socks. I said, do, do I take off the socks? His reply was, no, keep the socks on. He reassured me that Chiefs had been in worse situations before and that keep hope, keep faith. And uh, I did, and as you all know, they uh, pulled it out. It was a bit of a nail-biter. As I was thinking about that, it occurred to me how much, how much of our lives, uh, are, it's, it's so necessary for us to have a little bit of hope a little bit of faith. And as Mark said, we're continuing today in uh, studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles with you, you want to open to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue talking about and thinking about and studying the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, as we said last week, uh, Matthew's whole theme of his whole book is the king and his kingdom. And... For us, in, in, in our world, the idea of kings is not one that we're used to. Uh, we don't you know, really accept that idea too well. The, the idea of kingdoms is pretty foreign to us. But to the original audience, the, the Jewish people, the, the idea of kings and kingdoms, well, that was all they understood. They knew what that meant. They understood and they were excited about it. In fact, I think one of the greatest temptations of Jesus wasn't how the people misunderstood his kingship. As they began to do the miracles and feed the crowds, they began to to develop visions and expectations of Jesus that were were far beyond his mission. And you could just hear the the crowd thinking, we're going to make him king. Rome will be unable to stop us. What's Caesar going to do when we have a guy like Jesus as our king? Of course, Jesus was not that type of king, and that's what he came to explain to help them understand that his kingdom is not of this world. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is directed to disciples, to people who are part of the kingdom, to Christians, to believers, to disciples. And and that's important for us to understand. But we also understand, as we talked about last week, that the the Beatitudes are, are an invitation a posturing of the heart, if you want to follow Jesus, if you'd like to be a part of that eternal kingdom, uh, that's what he has opened it for us, and he is, uh, the invitation is extended to us. Uh, this is a king largely preaching about a different kind of kingdom, and it's one that we must have a little hope and a whole lot of faith to be a part of. 
So, last week, as a review, we learned a couple of things from the first four Beatitudes. First, we said that if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you have to come empty. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And poor in spirit, of course, means that you empty yourself. You have nothing to offer. You don't come to God on your own terms. You don't come to God saying, hey, God, I think I'd be a good addition to your team. Uh, Some of you are professionals, professionals. not professional, but, but play a lot of sports, or your kids play a lot of sports. And you understand that if your kid's really talented in certain areas, that, that being a part of a special team is a privilege. And you don't just get on that team, you, you come and you say, hey, look at my talents, look at my abilities, look at my, I can make this team better. But see, when you come to the kingdom, it's exactly the opposite. The kingdom is, is, a, is a kingdom for people who are empty of themselves, poor in spirit, Second, we talked about that to be a part of the kingdom, you must mourn your sin, to repent. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, we've probably, most everyone in, in a size like this has mourned at some point. When you have a deep mourning, it's, it's like something indescribable. There is nothing that ever makes it better. There's nothing that ever uh, brings a, a comfort that, that makes the grief go away. And we all understand that kind of mourning. Uh, this kind of mourning is that type of mourning for your sin. Now think about it this way. Think for just a moment about the very worst thing you've ever done. Now, I'm not going to ask you to share, but I want you to think about it for just a minute and just take your mind and your heart back to that place. How does it make your heart feel? How does it make you feel? What do you think about that? Maybe you're filled with despair or grief or sorrow, regret, wishing you could undo, but unable to undo. That's the penitent heart. It's, it's deep lament over being dead in sin. And sorrow over that which cannot be undone. Third, we said, to be a part of the kingdom, you must be broken. Uh, We use a word that we don't use a lot in our culture, which is the word meek. Blessed are the meek, for uh, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not weakness, as we said last week, but putting your strength under God's control. We use the image of a stallion being ridden. He was able to be ridden because all of his strength is being yielded to the rider who controls him by a bit, a tiny piece of metal in his mouth. That's meekness. That's putting our, being willing to, to, to break ourselves, to put ourselves underneath Christ's full control. And finally, it is for those who are starving, not physically starving, but starving for the bread, starving for the bread of life, starving for the word of God, people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you are sitting there this morning and you thought, I wish there was something more to my life than just existing. I wish there was something more to my life than just going to work and paying my bills and just, is this just all life is? Isn't there more to it? You're getting close to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for godliness, for what he desires for us. So these four postures of the heart, if you find yourself in these, you're being invited to be a part of the kingdom. Now, what we didn't get to last week is verses 7 through 11 of Matthew chapter 5, and that's where we're going to start in the Beatitudes. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they... Sorry, excuse me. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so King Jesus, now that he has invited us to the king's table, as he invites us to be a part of the kingdom, you need to understand that King Jesus, like all kings, has some expectations of his servants. He desires some attitudes and some actions and some behaviors of us who are part of the kingdom. First, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, The beautiful part about being a part of the kingdom is this. Because when we are a part of the kingdom, you and I have been spared from justice. That is, we did not get what we rightly deserve. And because we've been spared from justice, we no longer seek justice. We no longer worry about what's fair. Having been shown mercy by God, we are called to show mercy for God. King Jesus desires that we be merciful subjects. Now, I want you to think about this with Jesus. Our theme this year is eyes on Jesus. I want you to think about how Jesus modeled this. King Jesus is not a a hypocritical, tyrannical, uh, 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 authoritative king who only asks you to do it and does not do it himself. Jesus was the model of mercy himself. Think about it for just a second. When and how did Jesus show mercy? He didn't condemn the adulterous woman. He prayed for the crowd of people who were calling for his blood. This is on the cross where every breath is an agonizing one. And he uses his last breaths to pray for those calling for his blood. To ask for mercy for they know not what they do. He gave an eternal pardon to a convicted criminal who is near death himself. You see, Jesus modeled mercy and he calls us, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, you need to know that it's not just about receiving the mercy of God. Everybody wants the mercy of God. But it comes with a price tag, and that is this. That we be as merciful as we have, as God has shown us mercy. Uh, In Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus is quoted as saying, Be merciful. Even as your father is merciful. Well, that sounds good, but when it's somebody who deserves it, it's kind of hard. Many years ago, my wife and I were uh, traveling down the, the highway. We were driving to Florida, 
And uh, as you probably already know, that's a long drive. Uh, So because I'm a man of efficiency, I was trying to make good time, which is only one way to do that, right? So I was uh, taking a rather liberal interpretation of the speed limit, and I was making good time. I was zipping in and zipping out and using the left lane properly, and man, I was really just going great guns, really proud of myself, beating the clock. When all of a sudden, in my rearview mirror, was a a person who was not concerned with my efficiency. Uh, He turned on his red and blue lights and and pulled me over. And I'm I'm just sitting there, and my, my lovely bride is sitting right next to me, and she is laughing her head off. You, I told you to slow that. You, you just didn't listen. So anyway, I got my hands at 10 and 2. Yes, sir. No, sir. But I don't make any excuses. He says, do you know I pulled you over? I said, yes, sir. I believe I was speeding. He said, well, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, he said, can I ask where you're going? I said, well, I, we're actually just going on a little vacation. He ask you what you do for a living, sir. I said, <clears throat> well, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm a minister. Uh, <laughs> He said, well, the way you were going, I thought you must have been a law enforcement officer or something. Um, so anyway, we had a, a, a nice chat for being in that situation. And he said, well, let me take your license. Let me run it. I'll be right back. So I'm just sitting there. Christy's laughing, enjoying watching me receive justice. The officer comes back, hands me my license. He says, Mr. Levering, since you're from out of state, because you were honest with me today, I'm going to let you off with a warning. And he hands me the, the warning citation. He said, you don't have to do anything with that, but I would ask you, please, just observe the laws and, and stay going exactly the speed you're supposed to. I said, yes, sir, I absolutely will do that. Thank you for, for showing me mercy. I appreciate that. And he went back to his car, and I rolled up my window, and I just looked at my wife and smiled. <laughs> And she looked at me and said, that is not right. (laughs) Now, listen, that's the way it is with mercy, okay? We all want mercy for ourselves, but sometimes when we see it extended to someone else, we think, that's not right. That person deserved justice. What I want is justice. And see, when you're a part of the kingdom, you're signing up to be a merciful person, not just for yourself, but for other people as well. That means extending mercy to people that you may not get along with. You extending mercy to someone who may have done you wrong. Forgiving someone who may not deserve it. See, mercy is a part of the DNA of the kingdom. It's what God desires for us is what Jesus as king expects us. Number two, he wants us to be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. With our hearts washed whiter than snow in the blood of Jesus. We, as people of the kingdom, pursue what is pure and what is good. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verse 9, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? You see, it's not that we can be pure on our own. We understand that it was what Jesus did on the cross. It's his blood that purifies us. But as he purifies us, he creates within us a desire to be pure and to seek purity. 
And, and, and to, in, in our actions, in our words, in our entertainment, in our social media, in our friendships, we are people who are called to be pure in heart. Third, we're to be peacemakers, to be people at peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Now, this is interesting because in Christ, you see, we have been redeemed. And, and in the spiritual sense, we, ha- we are rebels who lay down our arms, as one writer wrote. Uh, we, have, we are at peace with God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. Romans 5.1 Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian is having peace with God. And, and Jesus says it's not just about having peace, it's about making peace. We're to be peacemakers so once you have peace with God, and which is the most beautiful parts of being in relationship with God through Christ, is that now I have a relationship with my Father that's, that even when I sin, it's covered. And I can still go to Him and ask for forgiveness, and I go to Him and I ask for help, and I go to Him with people that are on my heart. But, but chief among those is that there is now peace between God and I. And because there's peace between God and me, I want that peace for other people. I want you to think about it. Someone said it this morning. There are people in the world, not in Christ, who have no peace. And it's because they don't have peace with God. And we, as sons and daughters of the kingdom, should desire peace for all people. We, we should be willing to share, you know, you could have more peace than you do. You could have less anxiety than you do. You, you could not be consumed with worry as you are. You can have a peace that, as the scripture says, passes all understanding. And you know how many people, if you were genuine and sincere, would say, how can I have that? You see, it's not just about having peace. It's about being a peace maker. The king wants us to be a people at peace. When someone dies, you'll see something on social media if they have a Facebook page and always say, rest in peace, rest in peace, rest in peace. But for the kingdom, it's a calling that we can not only rest in peace, but that we can live at peace. That's a beautiful promise. And we shouldn't just want that for ourselves. We shouldn't just want that selfishly. We should want that for others as well. Having been reconciled, we become ambassadors of reconciliation. We live peaceably and we pursue peace as often as possible. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. <clears throat> the scripture, uh, Romans chapter 6 will tell you how to become a Christian. Romans chapter 12 tells you how to live as a Christian. Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that doesn't mean that everybody's going to you know, not everyone has peace, but the beautiful blessing of being in the kingdom is that we, as far as it depends on us, ought always to strive to live peaceably with all people. Finally, we're called to be courageous citizens. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, we're promised as people of the kingdom that the world will hate us. That's, that's going to happen. The world hated Jesus. They still hate Jesus. They're going to hate Jesus' followers. Um, and so, even in spite of that hate, which is going to take all different forms, it's going to look like insults, it's going to look like mockery, it's going to look like being persecuted in some sense. I, I, I tend to think that it's going to get harder for Christians in this country going forward. Which makes me really sad for my children, and it, it, it should make you sad for your children and your children's children. But, what if Jesus has brought our children and our grandchildren into this world that we might teach them to be courageous citizens of the kingdom? To, to be the generation that God raises up to call the world back to him, to call their hearts back to repentance. We can, it's easy to get timid and fearful when we think about being attacked by the world. Uh, we heard this so much. Uh, I hear this a lot. What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen? What do you think? Oh, this generation today, what's going to happen to it? What's going to happen to the church? And you know what the answer is? The church is going to be just fine. I know that because I read the book. I, I know that the church is going to be fine. I know that God is going to keep his promise. If we just stay faithful to him, that's key. That's crucial. And, and when we're attacked, that be, should be just like water off the duck's back. It doesn't phase us because our hope is in a deeper promise and in a better home than this one. Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. You see, that's the beautiful thing about being in the kingdom. It completely changes your perspective on death. Because it changes your perspective on death, you understand that whenever that happens, however that happens, the Christians in the first century could sing as they were burned at the stake. First century Christians could pray for their persecutors because they knew that death was not the end, but merely a transition to something greater. And so blessed are those who are persecuted because their persecution will not be forever. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus said this, the things that I, I do, you'll do even greater things. And when I think about him saying that, I always think about how can that be? How can I do the miracles that Jesus did? Our mind always goes to the miracles that Jesus did. But, but what, what if the greater things than these are these things right here? How can you be merciful in a world so focused on justice? How can you be pure in such a, in such a unholy, evil world? And it can be evil at times. How can you be peaceful and courageous when the world hates you so? Are these not the things that Jesus did? Are these not the things he showed us how to do? You'll do things greater than these. As people who are part of the kingdom understand that the king expects us not to earn our place in the kingdom, but just as a part of who we've been transformed to be, to be merciful, to be pure, to be peacemaking, and to be courageous even in spite of persecution. 
Continuing in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to the next few verses. Verses 13 and following. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, the people of Jesus having been changed by Jesus, now are called to make an impact for Jesus. The people of Jesus, having been changed by Jesus, now are called to make an impact for Jesus. Think about who's writing this down in the book of Matthew. A tax collector. Someone who who took from God's people, who... who, uh, was probably greedy or struggled with greed, uh, someone who, who thought only of himself, and now he is writing about the selfless, righteous, holy king of kings. Think about Peter as he was, you know, a common, ordinary, uneducated fisherman with a swearing problem. And Jesus called him, and he would preach the first Gospel sermon in the kingdom. I love that. Think about Saul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a trained by Gamaliel, who knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, who was zealous for God's law, loved him so much that he was trying to stomp out these Christians and the heresy that they were teaching. Jesus took hold of him, and in a blinding light... Saul began to see and began to be changed. And not not only became a part of the kingdom when he was baptized, but he became a missionary for the kingdom. And he wrote letters. Most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. This is the impact that Jesus makes on a life. And more than that, it's not just about the impact that he makes on our lives, but now you and I are are a part of that and called to make a similar impact. Now, you've heard countless illustrations and sermons and classes about salt and light. And I just want to make this one simple point. Salt and light are two very different things. They're they're so vastly different. I'm guessing at home you don't store your light bulbs with your salt in your kitchen. You, you keep them in two separate places. They, they perform two different tasks. They do two different things. What similarity does salt and light have? In my view, it's just one thing. They vastly change whatever they're brought into contact with. This morning, early in the, this morning, I imagine Ernie showed up several hours before anyone was here, and he turned on the lights that light instantly changed the environment that it was in. Salt does the same thing, whether we're putting it on our foods or or putting it on our roads. It it changes things 
in a way that's clear and unmistakable. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13, there's the account of Paul, uh, Peter and John, rather. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, <clears throat> it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And then Luke adds this part, which I love. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized, they saw the impact, they saw the difference that he made. Don't you think that's just as true for you and I? That we're called to, to, to be different, to make an impact, whether it's on your job. Do, do your, does your supervisor or your foreman recognize that you're with Jesus? Well, what about at school? Do your teachers, do your peers, do they recognize that you've been with Jesus? What about in your marriage, what are your relationships, your social media? Every part of it should, should call attention to the fact that Jesus has made an impact in you. And it should be easy to see the impact that you make in the world around you. That's what salt and light does. We can see salt and light in Matthew and Peter and Paul. We can also see it in a guy by the name of Brock Purdy. Now, I don't give you any misunderstandings or misgivings. I am not a sports fan, but I, I have increasingly become, although uh, I will cheer for the Chiefs uh, as long as they keep winning. (laughs) I am severely impressed with the quarterback for the 49ers. 24 years old, and and I just want you to watch a couple of these clips. If you guys will turn the sound up. These these were pre-game interviews clipped together of Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback, uh, from last Sunday. Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, football is what I do. It's not, you know, who I am. Um, who I am is who God calls me to be, and, and that's it. So Jesus Christ is, is my rock. He's my Lord and Savior. That's who I live for. And that bleeds into, you know, how I love my teammates well, how, how I can have a good mindset, you know, when things are going well, when things aren't going well in football, in life. And so that's my identity. If it's in football, um, you know, you go through some tough times. It can, obviously, you just seek other people's approval and, for me, man, that's it's a tough, tough life, you know, to to have that kind of mindset rather than knowing that the verdict is, is in. Jesus Christ already died for my sins, and I'm saved through him, and now I can go and live my life um, through that. So that's that's my identity. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like the world is, is going to tell you you're good when things are going well, and when you're, you know, not doing so well, they're going to be quick to, you know, tell you you're not good enough. And so for me, having a faith, having faith in Jesus um, I know that I don't have to continue to work uh, to be loved. I know that I'm already loved. He, he died on the cross for me, and, and I can live through that. So, um, Man, purpose. You know, if you want a purpose in life, um, not just to chase money and status and, and all the things that the world offers, but purpose to live, then that's in Jesus Christ. Probably Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Um, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Um, just sinking into that, knowing that I'm loved, I'm taken care of, and um, I don't need to win this game to, to feel loved or be loved because I already am in Jesus. In 101 seconds of that pregame interview, 
Brock Purdy witnessed Jesus five times. Now, if you were watching as a Christian, first of all, that's inspiring. As parents, you desire, man, I hope my 24-year-old, whatever they end up being, whether it's quarterback or something else, I, I hope they live that kind of life. It's inspiring for all of us. It's humbling. You think how many opportunities have I had to identify and witness to Jesus Christ and the impact that he's made? He talked about the approval that's sought by others, and sometimes it's hard when you don't win those games. Now, we all know how that was going to end, but Brock Purdy's attitude never changed. This is all pregame stuff. In fact, if you were a Christian and you're watching that, you think, man, 49ers are going to win this thing. <laughs> There's nothing that could stop him. I would almost agree with you, except for the Sox. Socks make the difference. Justin told me I could never, ever take them off. So, every Sunday. But that's being the salt and the light. That's living as salt and light. That's Brock Purdy understanding that his identity, his value, his eternity, none of that hinged on last week's game. The world put all the focus and all the energy and all the time and all the value of every player into one single game. And I know everybody thanks God when they win. But you can imagine how impactful of a witness that is to guys who are wondering if they'll be in the team next year. And now Brock can speak to them and say, even if you aren't, there's still hope. Even if you aren't, better things are ahead. Even if you aren't, there are far bigger things than the Super Bowl. I love that. That's what Jesus called us to do, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He promises that to us. I'm going to extend that invitation to all of you this morning. If you're not in Christ, have you obeyed Christ? Have you, have you shown your love for Jesus by doing what he said? If you haven't done that this morning, it would be a great opportunity to do that. And we've got the water ready. You can be baptized into Christ. You can be a part of this beautiful, powerful, eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if you're ready to do that, we're going to sing a song and you can go to the back. and we'll, we'll be happy to help you be a part of God's eternal kingdom. But if you're a part of the eternal kingdom, I have one final question, one final challenge for you, and it's this. How will they taste and see? that the Lord is good if we will not be salt and light. I want you to take just a moment. I know you've, you've you know, filled out the outline and you hear me land in the plane and you're, okay, time for lunch, ready to go. Can you just pause for just a moment? I want you to think of someone who doesn't know Jesus. I want you to think of a family member a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone you go to school with, and they desperately need to know the hope of Jesus and the peace of Jesus. 
How will they taste and see? Unless you and you and you and me are the salt and the light. Can, can we take just a moment before we offer the invitation to bow our heads and pray for the lost? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning it's been good to reconsider the words of your son and to think about his impact that he's made on our lives and the lives of so many. But Father, we know that you are patient and loving and not wanting anyone to come to to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Father, there are people in our lives that we're thinking of right now. Good friends, family members, people we work with, people we talk with about everything in life, but they don't have your son. They aren't under his kingship. They haven't obeyed the gospel. Father, give us the courage this week and in the weeks to come to, to be the salt and the light as your servant Brock was to a worldwide audience. Give us the opportunity. Lead us to at least one soul, whether it's these souls that we've thought of or maybe people we aren't thinking of. Father, we want to be, as your people, people on mission for your kingdom. Father, we love you. And we know that you love us because of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you need to respond to the gospel invitation or if we can pray for you and encourage you in any way, if you have a need, head to the back. Our shepherds will meet you there. Whatever your need is, head to the back at this time as together we stand and sing.